Chapter 2 Initiation At the same time I have accepted this naming of being a settler as being part of a movement towards cross-cultural healing, I find that I say the words rarely. I respect the power of naming such and at the same time that identity is not one that fits my soul, my soul line or song line as best I know it to be. Though born in a New York City hospital and growing up in Connecticut, I never landed there, grounded there, or felt that this was to be home. As described earlier, the call west was in my bones, as if my ancestors were still on the move inside of me, somewhere deep inside. I received literally the call to go west in 1980 from the Esalen Institute to an invitational conference of 30 with alternative healing as its focus. Somehow I had been recommended as some kind of a woman wilderness wellness rep. As a feminist working for women's health in a variety of ways, locally and globally at the time, I filled a good slot. Day three of a long weekend, however, I was still wondering how I fit, how I related to the talks underway. It was through recognizing what was missing that I made the simplest yet oldest discovery. My health, our health, was intimately related to the health of the earth, which no one else seemed to be talking about. Although this was surely not new information for many or most, the embodied truth of it was new to me. One young man, looking as if he was living in the forest daily, finally stood up and spoke to it beautifully at the end of the day. I felt home that I had arrived in his description. That day, I was invited by Esalen's co-director to stay on as his guest for a week. My research into alternative approaches to healing in more ancient than modern ways, the essential connection of health related to community, life, nature, earth-sea belonging. That focus opened up the conversation and a new doorway. That door opened another gateway to yet another experience of ancestral connection. Later that night, I went to a talk by Dr. Stan Groff regarding the spectrum of wellness. Years before, I had been offered a press pass and traveled across the country to hear him. As I heard it, we were all on the spectrum, some at one end, some at another, dependent on time of life, environment, genes, attitude, earth, God, spirit, mystery, which hour, which moment, which year. My interpretation was, everybody has something. And another way is a native elder I know says, we are all living and we are all dying. Questions then became focused simply on how to be with whatever comes along, any distresses in the body, heart, mind, or soul. Having had two suicides and five cancers in my family, I was motivated to find a better way of living than the choices I had witnessed around alcohol, drugs, surgeries, not to mention institutions. Stan's talk was resonant 
if not seductive. Although his month-long course beginning the next day had a long wait list, he said when I asked that night that I could join. Mind you, I was on a nine-month paid research sabbatical of sorts with nowhere to go but where I was called. And even though I had no psychological training, as most others surely did, I had read none of his many texts. I actually overcame my insecurities and accepted this as an advantage. The next day, I began a month of holotropic breathwork, twice a week, learning by doing myself and sitting for others. Experiential was an understatement. At first, I remember there was a great relief, or I better say release of energy, that I had been storing for years, if not lifetimes. Seven years earlier, I had had three surgeries for broken legs, ski and climbing accidents, a year on crutches, a year of back pain, my mother's death, my ex-lover's lapse into despair, my facing of death truly perhaps for the first time in my life, staring at a fire for much of a winter, singing and feeling that hit. What's it all about, Alfie? Significant, that song, to me, as that was my father's name. Later, I came to hear this was often named, this kind of journey, a dark night of the soul, a context that seemed fitting only in hindsight. As thoughts of suicide seeped in, I felt my dance with death had taken a dangerous turn. I remember seeing death up close for the first time around age nine a small group of us paddling a day-long journey in canoes down the Connecticut River. Given my great-parents' life in Vermont, traveling on the river, named after my home state, well, I was in settler ancestral territories for sure. Mythic moments as I pretended to be indigenous, now culturally offensive at best, I sung gibberish, or now what I call Gijanese in the lead canoe, leaving the counselors far behind at the last bend. I felt free on the river. I can remember being in my own boat with my best friend, Connie Gloth. We had been tied to the hip now for four summers. She captain of the blue team and I of the white. Best of enemies, best of friends. And then... Around the bend, we saw the train. A number of train cars in the waters ahead, strangely on their side, clearly not belonging there. Though we had heard no sounds the hour before, they had not been there very long. Next, we saw his body floating before us in the river. Just at first glimpses of his feet could have been a fish but then his whole self. Speeding around the corner came a small craft, sirens blaring now. We put our paddles straight into the water, trying to hold our place and not to pass by. Neither of us spoke a word. Minutes later, all four canoes were together again at a small dock. 
we watched as the conductor was lifted from the motorboat into an ambulance. We spoke a few words to the authorities, and then it was over, as quickly as it had all begun. Now, all of these years later, now after my uncle's suicide by a gun, my aunt's by drugs, my mother's to cancer, my college roommate's to a car crash, my other roommate's fiancé to the war in Vietnam, I think of the river, the canoe. My first facing of death up close, on the river in a canoe, somehow seemed to have meaning in the mystery. I remember carving a little canoe about a foot long for days as a gift before my parents' 15th wedding anniversary. Somehow this canoe was to be my truest expression of love, of family. I had not wanted them to find out to know I was using a knife at age 11 would have totally freaked them out. But the deep gash on my thumb Still bearing that scar is a reminder always today. Something about the river, the canoes, the life-death moments, the love of life and then the immediate encounter with death keeps returning to my mind and heart. There are strong stories around the import of canoes amongst so many indigenous tribes, and only later when Thomas Banyaka shared the Hopi prophecy did I have an even more ancient knowing of the canoe, the river, the river we are in. That somehow, maybe this little white kid, some might say, was connected in those moments to a bigger story. We need perhaps to get in one canoe, as the death, the big waterfall, is just around the bend. Yesterday, we drove to an old ruin of a church in the west tip of County Kerry, Ireland. There now were the farmers, the sheep, the stone walls, the stories on a poster, as well as engraved throughout the graveyard headstones. History, as it was there written, included those tales of a massacre. And I could not help but wonder about all the history that was not on those signs. I have come to make it a small but important form of activism in the U.S. to ask at any park or place I am in that simply ignores indigenous life before settlers to please correct it. Slowly it's happening on our Turtle Island, yet only slow, small steps far from what is wanted and needed by those still impacted by colonial authority. Here, on this site, what stood out even more than that Christian memorial was another kind of recorded history nearby. Rock art, they call it. There, on a large rock, was a map and photo of an ancient, timeless spiral ground deep into its flesh, not all of the daily rain in this region had worn away this symbol, one I hold so dearly today. Something, yes, in our bones, in these stones, a memory, a way, a prayer, a past so simple yet so relevant, older than the Irish, older than the church, 
older than what some think of as ancestors. Keep going around. Keep the wisdom of the circle alive. And maybe more importantly, keep it open with no beginning and no end. This is a practice, and the spiral form is our way of counsel, our way of working in community still today. We find it's important to always make room for the unexpected guest, visitor, insight, idea, and at the same time, respect who is here before, who is here now, who is committed to the land, the place, the intention, the community. Only after those have spoken, shared, or decided is the witness voice of the newest arrival welcomed.